Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for the 16th episode of the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we jump into today's interview, I wanted to give you all a quick update on Expat Empire after taking a hiatus over the last four months. While I wanted to continue to provide content to all the past, current, and future expats out there during this challenging time, I decided to take some time off from Expat Empire to refocus on my family. Working from home, I was able to spend a lot more time with my wife here in Portugal and with their families back in the United States and Japan over video calls. It was a great time to take a step back, reflect on what is important, and get refreshed for the road ahead. There have also been many voices that have spoken up in the news, on social media, and of course, and many other podcasts that I was happy to provide more space to over the last months. From doctors working around the clock in hospitals, to the activists in the Black Lives Matter movements around the world, I am sure that there has been more than enough content to fill your podcast feeds. Whatever you have been up to or listening to over the past few months, I hope you and your loved ones are doing well and staying safe. Now that things have calmed down here in Porto and restrictions continue to relax in many other cities around the world, it seemed to me to be a good time to try to bring Expat Empire back into the mix, to give some examples of what we've been up to. At the start of the previous episode, I talked about how we'd had our second Expat Empire Porto meetup on March 9th, the same week that the lockdown started here in Porto. Recently, on July 8th, after a four-month break, we had our third meetup event and had a great turnout of people who really wanted to make connections and friends in the Porto area. My wife and I also managed to get our Portuguese residence permits in the midst of this craziness, and so I wrote the first part of our story in the post section of the Expat Empire website, with the second part coming soon, so be sure to check them out when you get the chance. In addition, I have recently been receiving many consulting requests from individuals just like yourselves who are looking to take this opportunity to make a move to a brand new destination after the dust settles. Many people are also thinking about traveling as digital nomads to work remotely from coffee shops in new cities going wherever the wind takes them and their MacBooks. Whatever your plans, if we can help you as you think about the next steps in your journey abroad, please reach out to us at expatempire.com. We are currently offering a limited number of free 30-minute consulting calls to help people just like you to jumpstart their moves abroad. So contact us to book your time before it's too late. With that said, today we will be hearing from Alan Murphy. After growing up in a small town in Texas, Murphy started getting the travel age and soon found himself traveling through South and Central America learning Spanish, investing in hostels, and making friends from around the world while working remotely using the principles of the four-hour work week. His travels eventually took him to Berlin, where he continues to explore his creative side and take advantage of all the opportunities that the city has to offer. Without further ado, let's start the conversation. Hey, Murphy, thanks so much for joining the Expat Empire podcast today. Hey, David, man, it's a pleasure to be on. It'd be great to hear a little bit more about your background just to start us off. You know, where you're originally from, where you've lived so far, and where you're currently living, and what you're doing. Yeah, so I'm originally from the U.S. I was born in Texas and lived there most of my life up until, I guess, the beginning of 2017. That's kind of when I decided to leave the States and traveled and lived through Central and South America for about a year and then ended up in Berlin, Germany. I've been here a little over a year. That's where I'm currently living. And yeah, a lot of stuff happened in between. I invested in a hostel in Guatemala. I 
worked remotely with my small business consulting thing I did for six months, um, learned Spanish along the way. It's been an interesting last couple of years for me. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I can't wait to dig in more to that today. So thanks so much for joining and sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. So where would you say that your interest in working abroad originally came from? Knowing that you're from the US, did you have some particular experience or meet some people along the way that made you kind of open your mind and your eyes to the possibilities abroad? Yeah. So for me, I'd never actually left the US until a few days after I graduated university in 2014. I went on this trip to Uganda and um, Sub-Saharan Africa and was there for about three weeks doing like some business consulting stuff, um, working with a couple of orphanages and kind of nonprofit work, I would say. And I would never left the US, as I said, so that was very much um, an eye-opening experience for me. And then I did some trips afterwards. I went to Costa Rica and then it was in Colombia. I was there for Carnival in, in 2016. And there I decided that, yeah, I really wanted to leave the US um, for quite some time. I remember it, it, it's super clear in my mind. I was having a random conversation with a guy. I don't even know his name in some hostel in Cartagena and near the Caribbean coast in, in Colombia. He was telling me about how he taught English for a year after he had finished university in Thailand. And it was there during that conversation. I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but I'm going to give it a try and see if I can make it living and working outside of the U.S. That's awesome. Did you first think that maybe you'd try the teaching route as well? Or what went through your head as you thought through options that would enable you to be able to work remotely or work abroad? Yeah, so I definitely went through the teacher's route. I even signed up for some really expensive course I never ended up taking called TEFLA, um, which is basically just teaching English as a second language. It's just a certification program. And yeah, I looked into it a lot. Like My original plan was to move to Buenos Aires, Argentina. I ended up getting a flat figured out down there through a friend who lives in San Francisco, <laughs> the woman who cuts his hair has a flat down there and I ended up meeting her and talking to her about it. But I explored the teaching route. For me, it was more of I had to make these decisions in my head that made sense for me to be able to leave, kind of like as building blocks, I would say. So maybe deep down, I realized I never was going to teach English, but it was kind of like the step I needed to make this big move, someone who had never lived outside of the US, never lived outside of Texas to kind of go somewhere a lot farther away and do something different. That was like the first step in my kind of personal process. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you found this flat in Argentina. And so you thought, that's where I'll go? Or was it basically based on the fact that you had a flat to go to there? Or was there any other, you know, were there other places that you considered or any other factors in your decision making process about where to land on your trip first? Yes. So I'm from like a tiny little village in Texas that no one's ever heard of. The biggest city I'd lived in up until this point was less than a couple hundred thousand. So I, I was looking for big major cities. That's kind of why I chose Buenos Aires. Um, I really wanted to learn Spanish. I'd taken four years of it in school, but I couldn't really speak anything. So I wanted to live in a Spanish-speaking country, to live in a major city, to have those that experience. And I'd already been to Medellin in Colombia. So it was kind of between Buenos Aires and Medellin. And it just kind of, when it worked out that I had a flat there, I just kind of took it as a sign that I was supposed to go there. And yeah, I looked at the visa stuff and it kind of made a bit of sense in that route. And yeah, it was just kind of made sense for me. I mean, I never actually ended up making it to Buenos Aires, Argentina. A lot of stuff happened in between um, and 
kind of plans change once you get out there and are doing something super different. But yeah, those were kind of the main factors on why I chose Buenos Aires. Big city, Spanish speaking. I mean, it's got a long history. It's right by the ocean. And yeah, those kind of things drew me there. And especially finding the flat, like having a living situation. Because I know for a lot of people, especially me thinking about this, it's like, all right, where am I going to live? How's that going to work? So those kind of pushed me towards that city. Right. So that was your first plan. Obviously, things changed along the way. What actually happened is in your first month or so, uh, where did you land coming from the US and how did your plans change? So originally, I went to the Dominican Republic for the first week. I um, was also doing some nonprofit work there. And then I went to Guatemala, um, specifically Lake Atitlan, um, a tiny little village there called Panajachel. And I was in like a, an immersive language school for Spanish. So I was living with the local family and I was doing about 20 hours a week with the tutor. So yeah, that was my original plan was, you know, spend some time in Central America, get my Spanish to a decent level before living in Buenos Aires um, to kind of like mix up travel and work. And that way I could see some different parts of the world and kind of really just focus on Spanish at that point. So yeah, I was in, a, in this immersive program. I did that for two weeks and then ended up going to Mexico to visit a friend from Germany. And then kind of after that is when the original plan to go to Buenos Aires kind of started fading away. Oh, okay. So it was sort of from those other experiences that you saw, maybe there's other opportunities that are more interesting. Yeah, well, it kind of got to my original plan was to only spend about three months in Central America. And after getting there, I was like, oh, this is such a cool mix of countries here. And it's so big. I didn't want to just rush it and kind of skip through it to meet some arbitrary date that I gave myself on when I need to be in Buenos Aires. And I was going to spend Christmas in Peru with a friend from university and his family. So I knew that that's the only place I needed to be that year was in in Buenos or in Peru by the end of December. So yeah, I just decided to to stick around in Central America and really explore this area a whole lot more. So yeah, sure. I, I ended up going back and forth, like up into Mexico and then all the way down to Panama and then back into Guatemala and up into Mexico and all the way back down. So I, I went up and down kind of the Central American track a couple of times. Wow, that sounds like a fantastic adventure and experience, and I'm quite jealous. How did you actually make it happen transportation-wise and also visa-wise, going through all those countries? And then did you actually you know, do that through uh, just taking buses here or there, or were you flying around? How'd you make it all happen? I did a little bit of everything, man, to be honest. So I, I took, a, for sure, a lot of buses. I took some boats, airplanes, a little bit of everything. How it works for the visa, for listeners that would be interested. Um, so if you have a U.S. passport or most EU passports as well, um, if you enter, it's called the CPAC4 region. So it's like Guatemala, Honduras, um, where else? And not Costa Rica. Um, basically, this cluster of countries between Mexico and Costa Rica, you get a 90-day uh, tourist visa there. And once you leave this region of four countries, your visa resets. So I went on some visa runs, um, specifically to Mexico to reset my visa and into Costa Rica to reset my visa as well. Um, I took some extremely long 20-hour bus rides to cross some of these borders, um, got to go I'm on a boat over a border. I walked over a border while I was there. Um, buses. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's also funny. It seems like, I don't know, for a lot of people until you've done it, it seems like, oh, how are you going to cross over these things? It's actually a lot easier than you would think. 
But yeah, it's interesting some of these border crossings, these like no man lands in the middle of in the middle in between these two countries. It's a very interesting atmosphere, I would say. Yeah, I can't even imagine doing that on foot. Or did you have any particularly interesting stories of making those visa runs that, I don't know, made you really realize that you were in a different country or multiple different countries rather? Yeah, I, I did this one. It was like a 24-hour ride from Guatemala City to a town called Leon, Nicaragua. And we ended up doing four border crossings in that 24 hours. So like crossing from the border of Guatemala into El Salvador and then into Honduras and then into Nicaragua. But yeah, I ended up finding out that on this bus, they were kind of like running drugs and stuff, which was super interesting to be a part of um, and seeing people get paid off at the border. One thing that's super interesting is how subjective it is when you're crossing these borders, like whether or not your passport gets stamped. I remember being crossing into a border into Nicaragua one of the times I was there and they pulled the guy out of the van we were in and had them him go inside this little office and they were googling him checking him on Facebook and asking him if he was this like Australian actor from this TV show it turned out he wasn't <laughs> but it's it's super interesting to like these random interactions you have where these people say you can get into the country or not get in and the stamp on this passport and this piece of paper it's a lot of interesting th- things that happen down at the borders of these countries. Yeah, but how did your Spanish develop over that time? Obviously, you were taking some courses, maybe 20 hours a week, like you mentioned, when you first started out. And how did it evolve during that time and also during your whole trip on the ground? The best way to, I'm sure you, you would agree, to learn a language is immersing yourself within a country. So I ended up doing about three months in total of language courses. I did the first one, which was in a very immersive experience. When I got there, I didn't speak any Spanish. Like I could say hola and adios, and that was it. And it very much evolved during my time there. Um, I ended up, like I briefly mentioned, investing in this hostel in Guatemala. And of course, all of my interactions through this whole process are completely in Spanish. Got to a very high level. It took a lot of time and a lot of effort. But after about six months of being there, I don't know, I'd probably say I was at like a B2 level. Nice. It really progressed. It was crazy. You know, that was the first language I'd ever learned. So being able to think in a different language, so your personality expand in some different ways, having all these interactions in Spanish, you know, all these new vocabularies, rewatching friends in Spanish, you know, all the intricacies of learning another language. Yeah, definitely. What kind of work were you doing while you were traveling around to support yourself, if any? Yeah, so... Part of my plan when I was making these different different things in my head on how it would be okay for me to leave the U.S., of course, I was lucky enough where I was able to pay off all my debt from school and save up a, a decent amount of money. But I also had like this small business consulting thing I'd started in uh, my last year of being in the state. So I was doing like an invoicing for this like small oil field services company. And I'd very much followed the Tim Ferriss four-hour workweek model. So by the time I was down there, I was only working about seven to eight hours a month, and it was enough to support my lifestyle. And yeah, I was just basically their invoicing expert. I would create all their invoices, send them to their different customers, make sure that they were paying their bills on time, they were getting paid, and handle a little bit more administrative work. And I had everything set up completely through email. I didn't have to be on the phone or anything like that. And that was how I was able to support that lifestyle while I was down there and not really have to touch my savings during that time. 
Wow, that's fantastic. That's pretty much the dream, I think, for any long-term traveler like yourself. Yeah, definitely. I was very sad when that dried up and I was <laughs> no longer had that job. Hopefully, I'll get back to that point soon. But yeah, it was it worked out super well. I've met a lot of other people who had done similar things or different things to allow them to travel. But I know it for people who are thinking about leaving like the US specifically and going to live abroad and travel. It really just calms you a lot when you know you're having some income coming in. Even if you do have a whole lot saved, it just kind of takes a lot of that financial stress out of the equation. Sure. And is that a job that you were then first doing in the United States and were able to kind of work with the company to transition abroad? Or were you always working remotely, even from home when you were in the U.S.? I was working remotely, even from the U.S. at home. Like it was the client I was working with or different clients I was working with. They weren't all in the same city, but I had met them in person or would have meetings with them in person and then was able to transition to working, letting them know like well in advance, hey, I'm going to be leaving the country and this is how I would like to continue working for you and kind of setting up all that. So it definitely took some convincing. It took some conversations. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, sure, just go for it. We'll figure it out on the way. But at the end of the day, they were receptive to it. And it did work for, I think, the first seven months I was traveling. It worked out, which was amazing. Yeah. Any particular reason that it ended up drying up? Was it just that they decided to get somebody like on site or yeah, anything you can share about that? Yeah. So the main reason with that is I kind of wanted to do something different. So they were mostly in construction and oil field sales and oil field construction and mostly oil and gas and energy related companies. So I kind of wanted to get out of that industry and do something different. Didn't really line up with what I wanted my work to be about and the kind of impact it would have on economy and environmental reasons and stuff like that. So I did get offered after work had kind of dried up a few months later to come back and work for them again, but I declined it at that time. Just kind of wanted to focus my efforts otherwhere. Also for people, it is hard to maintain an effective relationship with an employer when you're living on opposite ends of the world, especially working solely through email. Like there was a point where I would, went like easily three months without having a phone conversation with them. With the knowledge I have now, I would even, if I got in a similar opportunity, I would want to have one Skype call a month just to maintain more of a personal relationship with your client if you're working in this situation, because it does kind of start to become like, you know, there's kind of a ghost working for you through email, but the, the kind of meat of the relationship starts to go away, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And honestly, yeah, doing a lot more remote work on my side as well. Just having those video calls, even for a little bit every day or week can go a long way, or even month for that matter. So of all the countries that you traveled around in Central and South America, were there any that particularly stuck out to you as being some of your favorites or some of the ones maybe that had the most challenges and weren't as much to your liking? Yeah. So for me, probably my favorite country to travel through was Mexico, which isn't technically Central America, North America. But yeah, I absolutely loved Mexico. I'd been there a couple of times before over the past few years before I'd left the US. I'm on short trips, but spending a month at a time in Mexico was amazing. I mean, the food's so good. Um, the nature is absolutely amazing. You know, you have great beaches, amazing weather, mountains, jungle. When it comes to getting around, like the bus system works really well in Mexico. It is a cheap country to live and travel in. Um, the US dollar definitely goes very far there. 
Um, there's my favorite place in Mexico is probably a, a town called San Cristobal de las Casas. Um, it's kind of like a mountain village in the middle of the state of Chiapas. And yeah, that was probably my favorite place where I spent time. Just this beautiful city of like 200,000 people has a really nice art scene. My favorite outdoor market I've ever been to. And yeah, it's just a really beautiful city nestled in, in the middle of these mountains. It's definitely got a lot of political turmoil going on there, a lot of things going on with indigenous communities and stuff, but it's it's a really, really special place. And then least favorite, probably Honduras, I would say. I spent about a week in, there's a couple of famous islands in Honduras. Maybe you've heard of them like Roatan, and it's a diving island there. Mm. I can't can't remember the name, but I spent about a week there and yeah, I just didn't really like it. Didn't really have the kind of vibe I was looking for and very, very Westernified and quite expensive. And I don't know, it just didn't really sit with me. I was probably Honduras in general. I went to a couple of different places there. It was probably my least favorite country in Central America. Mm. Um, I had a great time in Nicaragua, I Gu- Guatemala especially. I mean, I lived there for over three months, um, just in this one village um, underneath a volcano on the next of this massive crater lake in the middle of the jungle. So that was a very special place for me. And yeah, the, Nicaragua was amazing as well. Um, Costa Rica, beautiful. But yeah, Honduras would probably be my least favorite. When it comes to transportation, like there's there's a lot of different ways to kind of do it in Central America. You can for sure take plane rides, but on more of the cheaper options, there are kind of like the shuttle buses that are very much built around the tourism industry there. Um, there's local buses. I did a little bit of like the touristy shuttles, a little bit of local buses and stuff like that. Um, getting around, it takes a lot of time. <laughs> you know, you look at a place on a map that's only 100 kilometers away or so, and it might take you three hours to get there, depending on the terrain and the traffic and all these other factors. So normally traveling from places like it takes a long time. It's not really an area where you can hop around quickly unless you are flying. Even then, it still takes quite a bit of time. But yeah, have you spent any time in Central America? <laughs> no, that's a good question. I've been to Guatemala as well. And when you mentioned Lake Atitlan, it brought back a lot of good memories. So yeah, I spent maybe a week there. I uh, went to Belize, um, did some diving in Kikaka over there. And mm-hmm. I've been to Mexico a few times. I've been to Brazil as well, which was unbelievable, but definitely like you, I would like to see a lot more of the countries in the region and the area. And Argentina is one that stuck out in my mind as a place I definitely want to visit in the future. So it's great to hear your story and get a a bit inspired myself. Oh, nice. I don't know if it's inspiring or (laughs) more of uh, maybe I shouldn't do some of those things. (laughs) How did you actually find your apartments that you were staying in or was it Airbnb or hostel or hotels or living with, on couch surfing? Like how did you, even in some places where you're staying for three months, manage to find places to stay? Yeah, I did a little bit of everything. I did mostly the hostel route. I would say probably about 70% of the places I stayed were hostels, then a little bit of Airbnb, some random hotels. And then, yeah, I mean, to find some of these places, like, of course, using Hostel World and Google and stuff like this. But after spending several months in these part of the world, I got to the point where I really just would show up in a place and then find a place to stay by walking around and walking into places and asking how much things cost. Um, My Spanish getting to a much higher level definitely helped me with the confidence in doing that. And for me personally, I also found that my favorite places to stay 
tended to not be the ones that were even on Google or on Hostel World and stuff like that. Mm. Airbnb is definitely great when you've spent enough time sharing rooms or not wanting to be in that kind of environment anymore. It's super nice to be able to get an Airbnb. Yeah, I made other friends while I was traveling and stuff and would travel with them in different small groups, um, you know, some for a few days, some for a few weeks. It just kind of depended. One really interesting thing about traveling around that part of the world, maybe you experience this a bit too, is a lot of people, they kind of visit places multiple times. I know I definitely ended up doing that, which it's super nice to kind of re-see a place through different eyes with a different group of people or a different one other person you're traveling with and stay at different places, but still in the same city or just revisit places you already know that you'll have a good time at. Did you have any experiences like that? No, most of mine were just round trips back to the US at that time in my life. So yeah, but I can imagine that being able to do that going forward into other cities and countries is a pretty exciting proposition because I'm sure you see it, as you mentioned, through different eyes. Yeah, for sure. I guess to summarize your question, yeah, I would say a little bit of everything, a little bit of Airbnb, mostly hostels, mostly finding them through Hostel World. I didn't do any couch surfing while I was there. I stayed with some local families when I did like the immersive Spanish experience. And yeah, overall, finding a place to stay really wasn't that bad. When I stayed in one place for three months, that was also the hostel that I ended up investing in and living there for three months. So that was a little bit of a different situation. Yeah. How did that all come about? That sounds like a very interesting opportunity <laughs> and proposition. Like, How did you end up becoming an investor in it? And what does that mean for you today? And certainly during your trip, how did that change your travels? Yeah, it, it changed it a lot. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of crazy. So my first two weeks, to be honest, and I guess also for the listeners and everything, like my first two weeks when I was in Guatemala, so my first week I was in the Dominican Republic and then went to Guatemala, my first two weeks kind of sucked. I was living in this country. I couldn't speak any Spanish. I was living with an only Spanish-speaking family, and then they spoke the indigenous Mayan language as well. So I couldn't communicate with them at all. I wasn't learning any Spanish, just nothing was clicking. I didn't really meet any people. I was super lonely. I was like, oh, why the hell am I here? Was this a good idea? Kind of really questioning things. And I hiked a volcano there, like Volcan San Pedro, if you remember from the Lake Atitlan region, the one that's sitting over San Pedro de Laguna. And I hiked this volcano one early morning, and there was this Australian guy there that I hiked it with, and he told me about this hostel that he had been staying in called Casa Felipe. And I ended up leaving for Mexico a few days later, and then when I was coming back to that region um, with a, a group of friends I'd made, I was like, oh, I've heard of this hostel. We should stay there. So I ended up staying there for a couple of weeks at that point, started to get to know the owner. And there was a lot of like things that I could notice, like this was a special little hostel, but it could get a lot of improvements. Like there was a lot of things that it, it needed work on. And then long story short, I ended up leaving that hostel, traveling again. And then when I came back for the third time, like I had a proper conversation. My Spanish was to a level then where I could have a proper conversation with the owner. And yeah, we just decided to enter kind of a partnership. So like I invested money in the restoration and stuff like that and ended up staying there for three months. Today, what that means is we have a phone call every 20 days and we send an email every 10 days. So during that time there, like we, we talked a whole lot about business and like what it means to have budgets. And it's, it's kind of like a social entrepreneurship project. I don't think I'll ever actually make any money out of the hostel. I'll just get my investment back eventually whenever tourism picks up a bit more there. Right. 
I wouldn't really suggest to people investing in a hostel. I very much had this dream that like, I don't know, that that would be kind of a great lifestyle, like owning a hostel and kind of living this very adventurous backpackerish lifestyle for quite some years. I'm super glad I did it and really happy with it, but it's, I would not say it's the best investment <laughs> to put money into a hostel. All right. Well, I'll keep that in mind if any other opportunities come knocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Working in the tourism industry, I think, is just very hard. Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. I don't know pers- firsthand, but I bet you get a good impression of that as an investor in the hospitality industry as well. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, like, of course you don't have any control over how many people are going to be visiting there. And like Guatemala had a a volcano erupt in Antigua. I don't know if you visited there. Yeah, I was there as well. Yeah. Like last year, like Fuego had a huge eruption. So then, you know, that news gets everywhere. So then less people travel to the country and some instability within the national government also had an effect on tourism. So it's really interesting being a part of this project where you kind of see these macro trends of what's happening in the world and how it can directly affect your business in a way. It's been very interesting to experience. Cool. Well, what an awesome opportunity and learning experience, like you said. You mentioned that you had this idea of maybe traveling the world for you know the next decade or however much longer that you want to in your life and have this kind of cool backpacker type existence. And maybe that's not what you want to do anymore. Was there some certain point that things changed for you or how you thought about where and how you wanted to spend your time? Yeah, man, quite a few things changed for me during this kind of experience. But the big thing is, is how I ended up in Berlin is I met my girlfriend who is German in Nicaragua um, and ended up deciding to move here um, to kind of continue that relationship and give it a proper shot. And yeah, I, I definitely at this point, I was a bit burned out of traveling. So I'd been traveling for that point about nine months and or a bit long. Yeah, about 10 months. I was a little bit exhausted of not having a proper place that was mine, that was kind of home. I was definitely missing some Western comforts like reliable Wi-Fi, knowing how long it's going to take to get to some place, and having a better understanding of just how things work. You're right. My original plan was to travel, just continuously travel the world for several years until basically I ran out of money was my original plan. And I would definitely say where I am now is I definitely want to travel again to go on some to have the experience, once again, of buying a one-way ticket and having no idea when I go back or, or kind of what the future holds. I'd never been to Europe before coming here to live either, so it was still had very much of an adventurous appeal, like getting to see this older countries and so much history here and learning German and all these other things that are tied to it. But yeah, it was just kind of decided not to continue traveling in that part of the world and start exploring a different part. It's hilarious because it also fit in with me living in a big city for the first time. I was like, well, it's not Buenos Aires, but it is Berlin. So <laughs> it kind of <laughs> scratched that original itch I had. Yeah, so it was sort of the original dream, and you delayed that in some respects for having different experiences, and it gave you a chance to go full circle just in a different place. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's awesome. For you, what kind of brought you to Berlin? I, to be honest, I can't really remember at this point. Long story short, I visited in 2014 and mm-hmm. I was going all around Western Europe for about 10 weeks. And I think I used up every possible destination that I could have on the train ticket by the time I got home. And during that time, I saw Berlin and I thought, man, this place is really cool. And I had some memory in the back of my mind that I'd been here for five days. And I actually looked at my itinerary 
actually after I ended up moving here a few years later. And I saw that I was only in Berlin for three days. And I think that kind of, to me, says something about what the impact that it had on me and, and my positive impression of it. And just feeling like despite it being three days or feeling like five days, I had just barely scratched the surface of the city. And so I, I knew that it was a place that I wanted to come back to and explore more, probably more than an, as a tourist as possible. So it was in the back of my mind. I ended up working in Tokyo and got a job, basically uh, interviewed and got the job pretty much during that trip by the end of it. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. But even while I was in Tokyo, it was in the back of my mind that maybe Berlin would be the next spot. And eventually I just started applying to companies here. And after some challenges, finding something in Japan and with some challenges in my role in Japan, I finally like, yeah, after I started applying, got a job at the first place that I applied to. So it was one of those things that just felt right. It felt like it was one of those cosmic signs. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I was originally going to come to Berlin on a round trip ticket to do some interviewing and networking and traveling. And then I changed that to a one way when I got the job before I even got in the plane. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was definitely a quick turnaround of getting everything sold and shipped and yeah, saying my goodbyes. But in a way, it was also nice to have that comfort that I had something to go to and to be able to cut the cord, not draw things out too much and just make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Because I don't know if, if you've had this experience with friends or people you've met, but you know, like people always have this type of dream, you know, in the back of their head. They're like, oh, I want to live there. I want to travel there. And you kind of see that they, they never really do that. It's interesting what you said about cutting the cord, because I think that's to actually do some of these things, you kind of have to, right? You kind of have to make these leaps of faith really quickly or you'll talk yourself out of it. Do you find that in any of your experiences? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm usually a pretty, I don't know, stubborn person. I guess that's probably the best way to put it, and especially as it comes to my travel and living abroad. So usually if I think about, hey, I'd like to visit this country or I want to take a trip during this time, I mean, what I've done recently is just look at the direct flights going from Schoenfeld or Tegel Airport in here in Berlin and just finding a place in a country that I've never been to or a city I've never been to and just looking at my calendar, finding the right dates, finding the right price, and just booking the ticket. And oftentimes, I'll end up booking a ticket to a place that I actually don't exactly know where it is on the map. Mm -hmm. And I'll just figure out the rest, you know, book the Airbnb or get the bus ticket from one city to another. But as long as I kind of pull the trigger on buying it, especially because here the tickets are so cheap that I just really don't have a lot of reason to sort of think things through too much. And I know that in the end, I'll, it'll be an awesome trip no matter where I go. And it's more about your mindset than maybe the specifics of a location. But I think the long-term travel that you're talking about is a whole different story. And I can understand from the two-month trip I did around Europe, I can understand how after nine or 10 months, some of those things that you mentioned would definitely get on your mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you said that because some of the people I met through traveling, that's what they would even do for like year-long trips and stuff like that is they would just book a one-way ticket and like a couple of nights of accommodation or something and then figure out the rest as they went. And I think there's something really to that. I think that's really, really powerful. And something I also want to mention, I guess, for listeners, I'm sure, have you, did you ever use WorkAware or have you heard of it? I actually haven't. Tell me about it. It's a platform where you pay, I don't know, I think it's like 30 bucks for a subscription for one year. And they have all these different projects all over the world. Um, like, for example, last time I looked at it, like in Costa Rica, there's 500 projects. Wow. And you go on there and you search for whatever blah, blah, blah city in Costa Rica. 
and you look at what projects they have there. Maybe it's working in a hostel, like working at, at the front desk. Maybe it's, it's working on a farm, doing a bit of woofing, like working on an organic farm. Maybe it's working at a small marketing agency there, some type of art project. They have any type of project you could think of. You'd be able to find it on this platform. And basically, it's an exchange. Sometimes you get paid, but that's not really common. It's mostly you get a free place to stay and normally one or two free meals a day. And you sometimes can work there for a week. Sometimes you work there for two weeks, a month. They have all these different kind of structures within it. But it's a really cool platform. I did a little bit of it while I was in Central and South America. And it's a great way to add a little bit of structure to your day, get save a lot of money because you get free accommodation, to build type of community because normally there's other people volunteering there. People who are interested in getting their feet wet and, and traveling or working abroad, I think it's a really awesome platform for them to check out and see what's possible. And it's a great way to get into a country. You know, you just buy that one-way plane ticket and you have your work set up for a couple of weeks and then you kind of figure it out as you go. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I'm really glad that you brought it up because I'm definitely going to check it out myself for potential future travels. And I think doing something different like that where you're more involved and organized with, of course, other travelers doing the same thing, but ultimately local families and getting that local authentic experience has got to bring something different to the mix to your usual hostel, hotel, resort experience when you travel. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this too. Sometimes like when you're in a place and you're like, oh, you feel like you're missing something. It definitely depends on whether you speak the local language, et cetera, et cetera. But it's nice just to see how many different options are out there. And there's so many different ways to travel. Like you meet these crazy people who are riding bicycles through multiple countries or motorbike trips or camping or just staying in hostels. There's so many different ways to travel and travel and work that this is, yeah, it's really incredible what's all possible once you accept that these possibilities are out there. Yeah, 100%. For me, a big change in my travel was learning to do scuba diving. And as soon as that opened up, then it changed a lot of the thinking around travel. It could be like, do I want to do a land trip or do I want to do a you know water trip now or maybe even a mix of both? But figuring out how to bring my equipment with me is a whole nother story. But yeah, it's been cool to kind of unlock in a completely different way to travel. And I think adding in volunteer experiences, local experiences, um, immersion programs or studies and, and different things can really change things up for you. Yeah. Wait, so you've gotten into diving. Do you have your dive master? I don't have the master yet, but I'm more focused right now on just enjoying the dives and letting somebody else lead. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I did enough courses. I feel like as soon as you start diving, you think, oh yeah, this is you know straightforward. Okay. I learned some stuff. I get comfortable with it. And then every time that you go out, it seems like people are trying to make you do more and more courses. And that's great. And some people love doing that. But I think I kind of got to the point where I was just like, okay, I want to go out. I want to see some stuff, take my GoPro, have somebody else, you know, show me the ropes and lead us around and they know what they're doing. And I kind of lost a little interest in getting deeper and deeper into all the different courses that you could possibly do as a diver. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes it's, I don't know, it's like, man, you don't need to be an expert in everything. Sometimes you just want to have a hobby. You just stay at one level and just enjoy it <laughs> yeah, for a while. I think I was losing that at some point because it just felt like, you know, oh, now you can do this thing. And some of those courses are really intense as well. And so it's not, I think I just was kind of losing some, a little bit of the fun of of it whenever I had to go back and do book work and I couldn't just enjoy laying out in the boat or this and that when we're actually, you know, back on the boat. But yeah, I think for me now it's become a thing where it's like I kind of keep track of it, but I'm not 
super close in on like, oh, I did this exact thing and I saw this exact fish and it's more like the overall experience. And I think that just comes with the style of diving that I want to do and the type of places I want to go. So it's been a really good outlet for me. Yeah, that sounds super cool, man. Well, this has been a great conversation and I'd actually like to know maybe in closing what your plan is looking like for the next few years. Do you intend to stay here in Berlin or think about buying the one-way ticket and starting that around the world trip again? What's in your mind these days? Man, I think my mind changes all the time. (laughs) But I would say at this point, yeah, I think Berlin's going to be home for probably at least another year or so. And the main thing is, is I want to be fluent in German before I leave Germany. Language learning is something that has really opened up my mind, I think, in a lot of positive ways. And I don't want to stop that. I very much have a lofty goal of getting to like five languages in the next, like, I don't know, five or six years or so. So I'm at like two point, I don't know, two five right now. Nice. So I, I want to get my German to a certain level and yeah, kind of build up another freelance kind of client base. And I don't know, I have like this new creative passion now where I, I want to be a writer and be a fiction writer. So to do that, it makes a lot of sense for me to stay in one place for right now. Buying a one-way ticket and starting that adventure again is definitely something I want to do in the next I don't know, maybe two or three years, but um, it's not like an immediate goal kind of right now. Cool. It's super interesting. I don't know. One thing that's kind of, maybe you've had a similar experience, but once you kind of get out there and travel, you kind of realize that making plans, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't, but um, you kind of realize how to live a little bit more day to day, which is a very nice feeling to have. Yeah, I think it would be good for me to have even more of that. So maybe I need to do even more travels. But I certainly agree that there's that point where you begin to realize that things tend to just work out one way or another. And I think that that simply by itself has been a great learning for me that I still working on internalizing sometimes. But overall, I know I can look back and say, hey, I didn't know how this would go, but look what happened. And, you know, I can sort of, as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. And right. uh, in the moment, you may be worried about the visa or the job or this the you know relationship or this or that, where you're going to be next or where you're going to move next. But ultimately, looking back, I can see how things have worked out. And that gives me some faith that things will also work out going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I know what you mean. Well, it's awesome to hear about your writing career and how that's developing. It'd be awesome to also let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and keep up to date with your written and other creative works. The websites are definitely all under construction right now. Yeah, listeners, they can find me on LinkedIn. If you just search Alan Murphy Berlin, I should pop up. But yeah, depending on when this episode gets posted, hopefully I'll have one of my websites finished to have a link in the show notes. Definitely. But yeah, definitely if anyone's interested in anything, just ping me on LinkedIn and I'll get back to you. Or yeah, I can provide other contact information in the show notes. Cool. All right, Murphy. Well, it's been an awesome time catching up and hearing about your amazing travels through Central South America and Mexico as well. And then now moving over to Germany. So Thanks so much for sharing that story with us and look forward to having you on again in the future. Yeah, thanks, David. Thanks to Alan for sharing his story with us. You can find Alan's new website at damurphy.com. That's D-A-M-U-R-P-H-Y.com. You can find the full transcript for this episode at expatempire.com. Music on this episode was produced by Eli Hermit. Please check him out on Bandcamp and Spotify. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. Keep up to date on the new Expat Empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for the newsletter to get notified about new podcast episodes and receive a ton of free expat-related content. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We are currently offering a free 30-minute consulting call to discuss your relocation plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website, expatempire.com, to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks. Thank you.